So we're going to start a new series, and in this new series, it's called Fixer Upper, and Fixer Upper, if you didn't get one of these, looks like this, and so you'll be able to follow along. And one of the coolest things, I had no idea, uh, Paul had to tell me, but usually, you know, I don't have an idea about a lot of different things. He's like, Larry, don't forget, today is Grandparents Day. So if you're a grandparent, hey, congratulations, because it's Grandparents Day. Um, I'm so sorry that we didn't start the series with Grandparents message. It's coming though. It's coming in a few weeks. We'll actually do a specific message just for grandparents. But if you're a grandparent, I want you to know your role in the family is critically important and really does make a difference in the lives, not only of your, your kids, but your grandkids and a lot of the people that have extended relationships. And so it's going to be cool. We'll hit that and we'll actually give you some testimony. So let me, let me tell you how this series got started and how Grace is kind of put together, especially if you're a guest. So every year we love to engage in one event called Riverfest, and it's a great event here in Seaford, and we get to meet lots of different people during that event. And we love to ask them as they come to our table a certain question that's relevant to culture and relevant to what's happening around us. This year we asked this question, which is, you know, what are the biggest things attacking the family? Where do you see the family being like torn down and, and not working as well? And uh, we got a stack of cards back about like this, and we that poor intern we had over the summer, I had to put them all into an Excel sheet. And then we looked at those. And some of the common things that you said were um, poverty was one of the things. And it came out usually in areas of stewardship and money. Um, technology, believe it or not, was one of the biggest ones. They said, we feel like we're losing our family sometimes to the distractions of technology. And we're not even together as a family. Another one was divorce is, is, is rampant and it's really impacting our homes and our families. And one of the ones that surprised me was government. So I guess it shouldn't have surprised you, but a lot of people said the government and just some things happening within government are impacting the family. And so we want to look at those, and we're going to look at those dynamics through relationships in the family, through stewardship in the family. We're going to look at all those pieces. And one of the things we're going to do I've never done before, which I think will be really fun, and Pastor Bud's going to monitor this, and Marianne, his spouse, is going to monitor this, is if you'll go to our Facebook which is listed inside your bulletin. You can get there from the website. If you'll go to Grace Seifert's Facebook, there's a place there where you can post. And if you have questions during the message that come up, like, I've always been curious about this. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but what about this? What we're going to do is, Pastor Bud, at the end, he's going to be looking at those, Mary Ann, they're going to look at those. And at the end, we'll do a wrap, and we're going to look at some of your questions. Before you think that we're going to um, embarrass you, we're not. They're just going to say from Facebook this morning, okay? So we're not going to say, hey, so-and-so posted. It's just here's a question that came from Facebook. And we'll answer some of those at the end of the message, but we'll also answer them during the week. So if you've got Facebook. Now, if you don't have Facebook and you're like, okay, you, you just heard technology is killing our family, you can put it on your Connect card as well, your questions. But we'll answer those, obviously, at a different point in time. And so maybe do a personal follow-up and answer for you. Is that cool? So we want this to be a very tangible service for you. Now, why is this important? Because the family has a design. I think all of us understand intuitively there's a design to the family. And we also understand that when we look around us, families look very differently depending on especially the family that we came out of. But why is that there's a design to the family even important? Some people say, why is that even relevant? Why is that important? Well, let me give you an example from culture that maybe will help you from engineering and design. There was a really famous ship one day, it was put together, and this ship was labeled with a certain label, and the label was unsinkable. You remember this ship? The Titanic, okay, yeah. So it was designed by a certain group of people, some certain engineers that got together, and they did their very best, and one of the things that they did was they created, for the first time, segmented compartments inside the ship, and they had 16 of them, 16 different watertight compartments that went throughout the ship. Now, what was interesting was they designed the ship to be able to take a front-on impact, even with an iceberg. 
And they could fill up to three of those compartments. But if it went more than that, the ship would falter. So in their design, they designed it a certain way, never thinking that they would actually get sideswiped by an iceberg. There would actually be a head-on collision. And because of that, this ship sinks. Now, one of the neat things, if you were in the Navy, like some of us, and you're on ships now, now we have watertight integrity, which is actually in each one of the berthings. We can take a much bigger hit, and that ship can stay buoyant because it was designed differently. There were design changes that were made. It was updated, and now that ship is safer. Now, why is that important? Because I think it applies to how we think about our families. Our families were designed a certain way. God has a design. And so sometimes, many times, we're out of alignment with the design. That's why we feel some of these things and these tensions in our family. And it's when we come into alignment with his design that it's the best that we can do with our lives and with our families. So in week one, we're going to talk about the naked truth about the family. We're really going to talk about just the family, the original idea of the family. Now, in Genesis, you're given the original idea of the family. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to, the very first book, you know, this is easy. You go to the very left, just turn to the first book. That's Genesis. And we're going to be looking at chapters 2 and chapters 3, and we're going to be pulling pieces out of it. And I want to encourage you, if you have a chance later, whether it's in a small group or with your family, read the whole thing. I'm going to be pulling excerpts out of it to just show you some dynamics of the original family and the original family's design. Now, some people believe that Genesis is allegorical, meaning it's not a literal truth. They think that, you know, Moses is looking back on the book of Genesis, and he's trying to say, here's the things that God's told me, and he's painting that with allegory. Some people look at this book, and it's a literal truth. Here's what I can tell you. It doesn't matter. If you think it's literal, there's great evidence that this is a literal happening that happened between Adam and Eve. It's awesome, and there's evidence out there to show you that. There's also great scholars that look at this and go, it's, it's allegorical at times, that he's kind of looking at this book the same way that John looks at Revelation. But here's the, here's the issue. No matter how you look at it, the implications are still the same. Whether you look at it as this is a figurative story or this is a literal story, you're going to see the implications for the family and for the first man and the first woman are exactly the same, and these implications are still impacting you and I today. So I don't get hung up on that. What I'm going to get hung up on is what is Jesus trying to tell us about the family in this book? So let's look at it together. We're going to do chapter 2, verse 24, okay? And if you want to know what my opinion is, you can ask me later, all right? So, so two, or you can put it on Facebook. All right, so looking at 2, 24, we're going to look at two verses to look at this. The first part is this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You've probably heard that at different weddings. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, for this reason, what was the reason? Well, if you go before that, you've got Adam, he's hanging out and they can't find a suitable helper for him, right? And, the, and God's like, hey, you need, you need something, dude, because you, if you've, you've been around guys long enough, we don't do it very well alone, do we? Sometimes we need somebody pulling alongside of us to help us out, right? Because there's certain things that we need. And so in this, he's saying, you're going to leave, and and in the family, the core family, you're going to be united to your wife. Now, let's look at this carefully, because God has a perfect plan. That's your first fill-in. And one of the things that's been taught to us down through history about this perfect plan is that God's plan for the family is a procreation. Haven't you heard that? That the core idea is that you're going to go make some youngins, okay? Because they look at this story, and they miss something that's so big. What they miss is, he was not supposed to do life alone. That's key. In other words, God designed you and I and the very first man to do life with other people. We don't do it well alone. When we're in isolation, we're just alone with our own ideas. Sometimes we get some crazy ideas. Any of you there? Okay. 
We just, we don't do it well. We need someone else to bounce stuff off of. We need what the Bible calls fellowship. But you also see in this passage a natural sequence. Here's what it looks like. They leave, they cleave, and they produce. I like the Old Testament word, the older version, cleave, isn't it cool? So they leave their parents at some point. That's natural. It's natural that you know you've got some people, they're reporting your family, you've learned some things, but there's a point in time you're supposed to get out. Some of you parents are already there. You're like, yes, yeah, some of y'all need to get out, okay? You leave, and you begin to try to figure out what's life mean to you, not just to my parents, and you're wrestling with different things. This happens pretty early. It happens with a teenager very early on. And then in this, there's this moment by which that you begin to develop new relationships. And one of the cool relationships that's out there is marriage. And God says, I've, I've invented this. This is mine. And it's not the only relationship, but there's this idea that you're going to bond with a group of people. They're going to have intimate fellowship with you and for the sake of producing. Not necessarily producing kids. That's one of the byproducts. And it's definitely there. But also just being productive in this culture having enjoyment. Some people think that work was a curse for Adam. It wasn't. Before the fall, which we'll talk about in a second, work was something he enjoyed. It's after the fall that it becomes something that's hard and laborsome. So here's the other problem when we think about this passage, though. When we look at this, we say, here's the ideal, right? And we don't live in the ideal. So that's one of the rubs right away from Genesis. Okay, here's the ideal, you know, one man, one woman, and this marriage relationship for life. And we're like, but I don't live in the ideal. And here's what you're going to find. God begins with where we are, and he moves to where he wants us to be. So, but here's what people think about this. They think when they hear this ideal that God has given it to us to shame us, and that's not true. In fact, God's plan does not involve shame. That's the first thing I want to tell you, or second thing, technically. But he doesn't involve shame. There are so many people out there that when they think about their faith, and they think about religion, and they think about church, the first idea that they have is there's going to be some involvement of making me feel shame because of where I am. What's interesting to me is the very beginning is they both were naked and they felt no shame. Ooh, that's pretty good, right? Because, you know, that's, you talk about being exposed, right? Can you imagine? You know, that's, that's fully exposed. You know, they're seeing every wart, okay, every pimple, right? Every dynamic, okay, where there's hair, where there's no hair, okay, it's the whole deal. And they're looking at each other, and there's no shame. Why? Because there's no judgment. Sin has not entered the situation. They can look at each other in a completely unique way that God designed two people to look at one another. Not with judgment, but with love. It's so interesting to me that, that's, that God's plan was not to shame but to actually bring blessing to us. I was thinking about this, and we, we sense this and we feel this in different ways. I was hanging out um, at Sam's. Sam's is a dangerous place. Anybody been there? I mean, you can't, buy, you can't spend less than a certain amount of money when you go there because, like, everything's in bulk, and then you find stuff that you don't need, and then you buy it anyway. Does anybody else do this? Lowe's is the same way, so it's Home Depot. You go there, and you're like, okay, and we got my Home Depot buddy up front. I'm like, I go there, and I'm like, find stuff. And I'm like, here's a tool I didn't even need, but now I need. And you buy stuff. Sam's is that way. And we're there, and I'm part of the whole process of husband and wife is um, my role is to push the cart. Anybody else with me? I push the cart. She fills the cart. Okay. Then we pay for the cart together. So I'm pushing the cart and running into somebody I hadn't seen in a while and hadn't seen them in, and been to a previous church with them. And their first comment to me is, man, um, you think it would be like, good to see you. How's the church going? You know, how's life? How's your family? Their, their first comment was, what happened to you? I'm like, what do you mean what happened to me? And they said, you put on some weight. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And 
there was nothing wrong with her observation. I have put on some weight since landing at Grace because people here cook really great. But I felt such shame right away. Right away. Have you ever felt that way? Because there's this thing that enters into our journey with one another and into our journey with God. And the first thing that we like to do with one another is point out what we see that's not right instead of pointing out what we see that is right. And that happened, but that was not God's plan. That was not God's design. You're going to see in a second, that is a result of the fall. Let's look at that in Genesis 3. So go down a little bit into Genesis 3. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. So in Genesis 3, 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit was good, right? When the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then their, then their eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Then they realized they were naked. Here's the reality of how this, how this comes down. Satan's greatest goal is to distort the plan. He can't give you a new plan. He's not that creative, by the way. He's just not that creative. What he does is he loves to distort God's perfect plan, God's beauty. He takes the things that are good. Remember what God says about creation? He created all this and it was good. It was beautiful, right? And he takes what's good and he takes what's beautiful. And then what he does with men and women, even today, even back there in the garden, he says, you should question God on this. Question him. Did he really say that you shouldn't eat of this one fruit? Because it's actually really good for, you know, gaining wisdom and knowledge. And the next thing you know, what we do is we go, maybe I know something here that God doesn't know. Maybe there's something I understand about my situation and my family and my culture that maybe, you know, God, I know he's infinite and he's like, wise and all, but maybe he just doesn't get it. You know, maybe God got it wrong. And the moment we do that, we find ourselves on this slippery slope, just like Adam and Eve, just like Adam and Eve. And before you start putting too much blame on Eve, if you want to do a, 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 Bud's big on Bible study, you want to do a Bible study on this and you want to go all the way through the Old Testament and all the way into the New Testament, both Old Testament and New Testament writers put the blame more squarely on Adam. Why? Because all he had to do, sitting there like a doof, was said, is that what really God said? That's all he had to say. And we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. And that's why even today, men in the church shirk leadership. We pull away from it. It came into us, and it's part of the fall. It's why we don't lead out in devotions in our house. It's why we don't lead out in prayers in our home. It's why we don't lead out in so many different ways is because this impacted us. It affected us. It's part of the fallen nature because God wants to distort, or Satan wants to distort this perfect plan. And Satan's plan is to shame you and I. It's to shame us. He wants you to feel shame. He wants you to feel this guilt. You know, guilt and repentance are two different things. He wants you to feel so bad and in the mire and the misery of where you are that you're so paralyzed that you don't want to make change. Look at what it says. They realized they were naked. They were already naked, right? They're already naked. But all of a sudden they said, now we realize that we're naked. And all of a sudden they felt differently about it. They were looking at one another differently. They exchanged the innocence and purity of God's plan for forbidden knowledge and experience. And in doing so, they bought right into it. And it's inside of us. You've got to understand that in you and I, part of the fall of mankind, this lives inside of us. I'll give you an example. 
So I live in Maryland, okay? So you're like, oh, I know you feel bad for me already, right? I live in Maryland, okay? And commute to Delaware. It's only, only a 25-minute commute for me, but here's the deal. So Maryland has different laws in Delaware. Y'all figured that out? Yeah. Okay, they do. Okay, one, some of those laws uh, center around what kind of guns you can buy and not. Maryland came out about, I don't know, two, three years ago with a law that said you can no longer buy this one type of gun. Let me show you how big the fall still impacts every single person. They were going to outlaw that gun. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go down to a store and I'm going to um, look at a gun. She's like, why? Because the government told me I couldn't have it. <laughs> it's the forbidden fruit all over again, ain't it? And I was like, I was like, you know, I went down there and I came back. She goes, did you buy that? I'm like, yes, I did. Why? Because they told me I couldn't have it. You know, and I mean, it's just in us. As a child, it's in us. As an adult, it's in us. And I really didn't need it. I mean, it's kind of fun to shoot, but it, I mean, we got better hunting guns, don't we? But it says I needed it. But, but here's the reality. It wasn't a need, but it just was something about somebody telling me I couldn't have it. It's inside of us. And it comes out of these kind of phrases. See if, see if these fit to you as well. I deserve fill in the blank. I deserve that. How about this one? We need this. They really don't understand me. And when we start to think about and center our world around us, we're putting on the very same lenses that Satan said, I'm going to use to distort the purity and the goodness of what God always wanted. My wife doesn't provide my needs. When the reality should be is, how am I serving and providing for her needs? That's the lens. And as that lens begins to shift and we begin to adopt what Satan has given us, we begin to look at shame and guilt and we look for the thing that's, you know, not sufficient in someone instead of what's good in someone. So how does this keep going? We'll keep going down the second part of that same verse in 7. And then combining that with verse 21, look what we see. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Have you all seen a fig leaf? It's a little bit bigger than my hand, okay? <laughs> it looks like soccer players on a wall, you know what I mean? This was not a good covering, all right? And then the Lord God made garments of skin. Look what he does. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. So why is this so important when you look at these two verses? Because here's what you and I do with our sin. And this is what they did in the original family. They cover it up with insufficient covering. Our covering is cheap and it's cold. It's cheap and it's cold. It eventually wears out. It doesn't give us what we need. And what it really does is it just really emphasizes the fact that we're completely exposed. It doesn't really, you know, we, we do it in all kinds of different ways too. Let me give you some of the ways that we cover up that you listed right here on those cards. Here's some of the ways that we cover up. We cover up with money, don't we? If I just have enough money, I'll be happy. If we just have enough, one day we'll get there, you know, we'll get to the place where we have enough and then we won't have to work so hard. What about relationships? How many people do you know that move from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship? Why? Because they're looking for this fulfillment in the relationship because it's a covering. It's a cheap covering that the world tells us will fill our greatest need. Government, you listed that. The government surely will take care of us, right? Of course they will because they love you, right? Even though they're thousands of miles away from you. Remember the beginning, it's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. You are the government. 
And again, we, we skew the reality of thinking that someone else is the one that will solve the problem. It's someone else's issue instead of engaging ourselves in something deeper based on what God's saying. And we put this cheap covering. We put the fig leaf over it. Sometimes we do it with sports. I mean, come on, this is NFL season. I'm already thinking this is a cool season. But sometimes we get so engaged in sports, we put sports even above the relationship with family and God. You know, in all kinds of different ways. We do it with success. I can't tell you, I've been there, you know, that you want that recognition from your boss and recognition from your coworkers and recognition from people that you're successful, that you've worked hard. That was me for a long time, and I was an engineer. I can tell you the reason I sought being an engineer was not because I like um, engineering stuff. It was because I really wanted the status of getting to a place where I'd achieve something because I grew up with so little. And that was that covering that is just like this. It's that cheap fig leaf. But God's covering is extravagant. And it's warm. It's extravagant and it's warm. Look at what he does. He doesn't put together two fig leaves. He doesn't just put together any covering for the, for the first man and woman. He kills an animal because he's showing right from the beginning that the cost of sin is expensive. It's not something we can cover over easily. It's not something, and you know this, someone hurts you deeply and they go, sorry. That's a, that's a fig leaf. That's a cheap covering. But God's covering goes deeper. It's extravagant. It's expensive. In fact, the Bible says all throughout it, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It can't be removed. And then the result is, is we feel the shame. But remember, is it God's plan to shame you? It's not. It's God's plan to even cover you in the midst of your shame. Isn't that beautiful? So when you look at this very first situation and you look at the fact that Adam and Eve wanted to cover themselves insufficiently, once they'd sinned, once they'd fallen, once they'd done what God said was you shouldn't go there, even then God had a plan. Even then God had a plan. And the plan that he chose was a plan that would give them a picture of a bigger plan, a bigger plan. That it was only through the shedding of blood that sin could truly be dealt with. Can you, can you picture that? All the way in Genesis 3, all the way back there, here God is giving a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. All the way in Genesis. This is the plan. I knew this was going to happen. I knew I was going to give you this thing called free will. I knew you were going to mess it up. You ever do that with your kids? I know you're going to mess this up, but I'm going to give you a little bit of chain to hang yourself with, right? A little rope. But even at the end of that, I've got a better plan. I've got something that's not going to shame you, but it's going to save you. And that's what God wants us to see about the original family. So when you think about your family for a second, and you think about the areas that you need covering in, the parts that are really hurt, let me just give it to you this way as a last thought, and then we'll, we'll flesh this out. Identify where you feel shame in your family and place your only hope in his name. So instead of feeling the shame, get your hope placed only in the name of Jesus. So where is it you feel shame? Is it a parent? Is it parenting? Is it in a marriage? Is it with a sibling? Wherever it is that you feel this tension, wherever it is that you feel this shame, what I believe this very first book of the Bible is trying to show us is that when we let God's covering cover us instead of our own, it brings healing and hope and forgiveness. So what's that look like? Will you hear us say it? I say this as many times as I can say it to grace because I never know when someone for the very first time is going to be here that's never put their hope in Christ. It's as simple as A, B, C. He made it simple. 
admitting that all of us are messed up. I don't know about you, but I've not met perfect people. Believing only in what Christ has done for me, that he paid for my sins when he shed his blood. Mine personally and yours. And committing my life to him. That's how you see hope and healing in a family. That's how you see the covering become extravagant and rich. Because it changes then how you're going to think about every relationship, right? So then when I think about struggles I have in my marriage, one of the first things I do in my prayer life is I say, okay, Lord, I've given myself fully to you. What is it you want out of this? Not what I want. What do you want? And then how do I respond by faith? So the same way that I come into a relationship with Jesus is the same way I see healing in my marriage. It's the same way I see healing in my family and with my, um, ki- my siblings and with my kids. It's powerful when you come to a child and you've made a mistake and you say, Dad messed up. But because of what Jesus has done, we can forgive each other and we can move forward. Same thing in a marriage. I know I've not treated you the way I should treat you because of what Christ has done, though, and that covers over me and it covers over you we can offer one another forgiveness and we can move forward. That's why this is such a cool covering and it's so much better than what we do. The coverings that we apply, they just dry up, waste away and flake off and you're exposed all over again. Christ's covering is permanent, lifelong. So I wanna pray with you to do that and then Pastor Bud's gonna come up and if you've put some questions up, he's gonna look at those and uh, just have a little bit of time of debrief of questions that people might have about the original family, the original sin, and God's response to it. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for each and every person here. Thanks for a chance to come together and celebrate your original family, your original idea. Thank you for our inadequacy and understanding. But thanks that even when we try to do things our way, you're right there in the middle trying to bring healing to us. God, we want your covering this morning. And if there's someone here who's never put their hope in you or needs to renew that hope, God, we want to give them that chance right now where they are for only you to see. And if you need to renew that relationship or start it, you just pray out to God and say, dear God, I know I've messed up. I know I fall short. I admit I need you. And I put my hope and my belief in the truth of who Christ is. I accept what he's done for me, paying for my sins. I commit my life to you the best I know how. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.